Good evening. Good evening. Man, I'm really looking forward to saying that for the last time. And I know uh, it's been a long time coming. I've been really thankful. Um, each time we have a transition or we have a, a new uh, a new change coming about, the older I get, the more I reflect. So I think um, when we first started out in uh, 2015 is when we started to collectively meet. So 2015 Easter uh, is where the first time uh, Trinity Parish at that time took form in, uh, in the ways of corporate meetings. So got together and worshipped. Um, it's, it's seen a lot of face changes. It's seen a lot of just planning and prayer and faithfulness and planning and prayer and faithfulness and a lot more of those three entities just combining. And I think as we as we transitioned from downstairs to upstairs to get a room that we could more intimately worship in and we get a room that we could we could dive into the Word of God and, and we could just um, be uh, the hands and feet, be the body of Christ. That was a big moment for us. It was a big moment for us to say, hey, we want to make something ours. We want to tie roots. We don't want to be just setting up and tearing down. We want a place to feel like home and this does it feels like home and then we said hey what's the best thing for us rhythmically what is the best place for us to be whether it be day time space um, without the morning for us that was a big transition and it was, a, it was a big leap of faith for us to say hey it's just one more change and what you learn early on as being a church planner is that you're just really praying and trying to be faithful to the next step to the next transition God has before you to the next place God's going to call you to to the next time and so forth. And there's not a group of people that I would rather do that with than the people in this room. And I'm thankful for your faithfulness. But I'm also thankful for another group of people's faithfulness. So if you had to put it on paper and said, hey, there's this church. They're going to try to plant. They're going to try to be the hands and feet. They're going to try to just breathe life into North Oak Cliff and, and point North Oak Cliff to the way of Christ. They're going to try to point Dallas to the ways of Christ. Uh, their average uh, goer uh, or their average uh, member is, is going to be probably like 31 to 32 years old. They're going to have nine kids. It's going to be crazy. <laughs> Everyone, be fruitful and multiply, is actually in our bylaws uh, at this church. Um, and they're going to partner. And what kind of church are they going to partner with? They're going to partner with a church whose average age is probably 70 um, and that comes from a different way of life, comes from a different generation of church, a generation of life. And if you put that on paper and you say, hey, they're going to meet in the same building, uh, most people with enough church DNA are going to laugh you out of that room and say, that will last two weeks before you butt heads and and it's over. And um, God called us to this place. And one of the reasons I know that is because there are loving men and women downstairs that have walked alongside us every step of the way. Um, they have absolutely been some of the, the bedrock, some of the foundational uh, stability that we needed and have said, hey, what can we do as Kessler uh, Park Baptist Church to help you grow as Trinity Church? Because really what we're doing is two, two bodies meeting in separate rooms serving the same God. And they've reiterated that time and time again. Occasionally I'll meet with them and I'll answer questions and say, this is what we're about. This is what's on our heart. This is where we want to move next. And I remember the last time I met, there was this beautiful old lady. And I use the word old really loosely. That was really rude mean it. She's older than me. Um, and uh, one guy said, hey, what kind of church are you? And I was like, that is such like an hour-long question. What do you mean? He goes, are you like Presbyterian, Methodist, Baptist? What are you doing? And I was like, hey, and before I could even answer, the woman was like, I don't care about that. What kind of God do you worship? And I was like, I, answer the, I worship the one true God. What kind of worship songs are you singing? I said, they reflect the, the gospel of Christ and the one true God. Goes, That's all we need to know. Let's move on. 
And just like that, this big like confrontational, oh, he's sizing me up with, with the, the breath of this woman who, who garnered respect. You could tell she was a shot caller in the room. Uh, she pretty much said like, hey, they're worshiping God and they are the hands and feet. And all, we, all she said that was a requirement is when she wanted to, she could hold babies. And I said, I got babies for you to hold. So um, I'm thankful for that. But uh, as, uh, as we continue on, if you want to turn to Genesis 13 and 14, that's where we're going to find ourselves. We're going to continue in our study of Genesis. Um, it's been a beautiful study. I've really enjoyed it. One of the uh, reasons I've enjoyed it is because for you to understand where you're at and where you're going, you need to understand where you came from. And Genesis is the embodiment uh, of God's plan for us. This is not a collection of stories. This is a sovereign God leading us to the cross. Whether it's Genesis 1 or Genesis 14, we have a sovereign God who knew we needed a Savior who who was prepared to give us that Savior to die on the cross, but it wasn't going to be just a simple splash of power. It was going to be a beautiful poetic story leading these broken men and women to the cause of Christ. And we've seen that in the first 14 chapters of Genesis, and it's been really beautiful. So this week we're going to continue in our introduction into who Abram is, who Abraham and his family, Sarah and Lot, are. Next week, we're going to take a pause, and we're going to start our Easter uh, our Easter uh, series. I'm really excited about that. We don't have time for me to go off on Easter, but the, genis, the, 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 the gist of our Easter message is going to be, are you living like that tomb is empty? Uh, because Abraham was living that way, and he didn't even know there was going to be a tomb. But we're going to see that men and women of God are felt. You're going to see men and women who say yes to God, who step out in the faith of knowing that their God will prepare a way for them, whether they can see it or not, are felt. We're going to feel Abraham's character today. We're going to see what Abraham's about, and we're going to walk through how each decision he makes is one separate step of faith to the other, leading him to the cause of Christ. So uh, recently, um, I lost my grandfather, and he was a, a powerful man. He was a he was a pastor. He was a father. He was a grandfather. He was a great grandfather. He was a lot of things to a lot of people. And one of the things that he he embodied, and then he passed on to his family, was that family was forever. And one of the things I remember him saying numerous times was, "If Abraham can stick with Lot." We can stick with each other. And that we're going to see that today. We're going to see the faithfulness of Abraham, how much family meant to Abraham, and how he played that out. And we're going to do that periodically as my daughter yells, as she has, and has really just found her voice, and as the Spirit moves through that. But as we see um, Abraham living out his life, he really embodies the it's not about you philosophy. Every decision you see Abraham make in these two chapters today, you're going to see him do it, understanding that all glory is to be brought to God. Whether you're at the valley or you're at the mountaintop, God is the epicenter of glory and He is the person we should put all of our faith in. Faithful men like Abraham are going to be felt today. Let me pray over us and I'm just going to walk through uh, Genesis 13 and 14. God, thank you for tonight. Thank you for today. Thank you for the, the men and women in this room. Thank you for the men and the women, men and women that meet downstairs. Thank you for these two beautiful bodies uh, of, of, of your son meeting together um, for the same cause, for the same God, and for the same purpose, that every day the mission is the same, that we should glorify you by bringing the lost to your throne. God, I pray 
that for the next few moments that we would be solely focused on your will and your word. I pray that we can dive into your scripture and that we may pull out the very marrow of what you want in our lives, that we would be able to just see the, the power of scripture, that we'd be able to see that the spirit can live in us and through us and compel us to have the faith of Abram, to have the faith of a, of a child of God. I pray that if there's anything that would distract us, that you would rip it out of us so we may focus on your will and your way for your glory. Amen. So we have a lot to go over today. So I want you just to have your Bibles open to chapters 13 and 14. I'm going to move and we're going to kind of tie this story together. We're not going to camp out in one section, but we're going to tie all the chapters together for just a unified theme of faithfulness. That's where we're going to be today. We're also going to at some point transition to Hebrews 7. If you want to bookmark that for a quick change, I'm going to read that out loud, um, but it will tie in. So here we find ourselves, Abram and Lot are, are traveling back from Egypt with his wife. Sarah. So remember, God called Abraham to, to leave everything he had ever known. So we saw last week that God called Abraham and said, hey, I want you and your wife Sarah and your family, I want y'all to take a step of faith and I want y'all to go to a foreign land. And Abraham, in complete obedience, immediately followed God's call. And we saw last week that that's truly what obedience to God looks like. It has to be immediate and it has to be unquestioned. If you are called to do something and you don't act immediately to it, that is a form of disobedience. If if you said, hey, I, I understand what you're calling me to, and two years from now when I get my stuff together, I'm a better version of myself, I'm going to answer that call. We saw that last week, that's just a form of disobedience. That's Satan being able to delay your plans, speak into that fear, and hit you up with logic. And we saw that God calls you where you are today. God is not calling a better version of yourself to do something great for Him. He's calling you to be faithful. God knows that there's not a better version of yourself. You're going to be a broken vessel, but you're going to be a broken vessel that, that can work and, and operate for the cause of Christ and God can use you as long as there is faith. We understand that there's nothing written about Abraham prior to Genesis 11 that, that builds him up to be this, this monster of a theologian or to be this, this beautiful husband or to do something that he's just an all-inspiring all person. No, he's just mentioned and then God calls him and he's faithful to it. We even saw shortly after he answered God's call with yes, he then has this crazy plan to pretend his hot wife is his sister so he doesn't catch a beating from Pharaoh, which doesn't even make a lot of sense. I don't care what culture you're in. If you're in 2019 or Genesis, that's a really bad plan. And we're going to let in. That, that's not the last time he's going to do that. But he was a faithful person. He was a faithful man of God that said yes. So they traveled to where God had called them to the land of Canaan. Because of a famine, they had then uh, sojourned to Egypt. And now they found themselves coming back from Egypt into the land where God originally called us. So Abraham went up from Egypt, and he and his wife, and all they had, and Lot with him into Nebed. Now Abraham was very rich in livestock and in silver and gold, and he sojourned from Nebeb as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar to the very first. There Abraham called upon the name of the Lord. So you see, throughout this faithfulness, throughout this pilgrimage and sojourning in different lands, God had blessed Abraham. He had, he had multiplied his herds. He had multiplied his wealth. He had actually been known for how much gold and silver he has. He is, he is bountiful. He, is, he has been what we would call blessed. God has blessed him for his faithfulness. Now don't confuse that with what's going to happen if you're faithful. God may bless you with material wealth with your faithfulness, but it does not necessarily mean you're going to see material wealth because you are faithful. Those two things aren't connected, but in this story he is literally blessing Abraham with material wealth. 
Now, Lot, it was a great example, is also alongside Abraham and actually just a like a, a residual. I'm not saying that word right, but because of his, thank you, and I like that. It's an intimate place. Y'all can help me out with words I can't say. <laughs> Lot is also getting rich too. <laughs> How about that? And their, uh, their property and their possessions are becoming so large that they can't live together and be good stewards of the land. They have so much cattle. They have so many people. They have so much possessions that they're destroying the land uh, that they are, they are currently occupying together. And, and they're, they're herdsmen. So the people who are in charge of their lands and their possession are starting to go to war with each other. They're starting to fight. They're supposed to be infighting because there is a limited amount of resources in this land. And it's really first come, first serve. And if you're... you're livestock, your animals don't get what they need, they're going to die off and your wealth will decline. So you're fighting for the very wealth that you've been blessed with. And what we see here is Abraham's first countercultural loving gift to Lot, where he could say, hey, I am your uncle. I am the head of this household. I run this show. Uh, I'm the reason you're wealthy. You have really just kind of been on my coattails from the beginning of this story, and you're going to continue to be on my coattails for the the remainder of this story. And he could have said, hey, I'm not casting you out. You go find your own way, or um, we can go to war, uh, at which point I believe Abraham would have won purely just on the size and the number of what he had. But a countercultural man of faith comes to Lot and says, hey, I don't want there to be beef. I don't want there to be infighting. I don't want there to be anything that gets between us because these are just things. We're never going to, family should never argue about anything that can be solved by time and money. Possessions are just that. We possess them. They do not possess us. Abraham was never about what he possessed. He was about who he served. And he comes to Lot and says, hey, you go left, I'll go right. You go east, I'll go west. We are not going to fight. You take wherever you want and I will take the lesser. And we see uh, Lot look out in the land, and he sees the Jordan Valley. And the Jordan Valley was a, a voluptuous, like just waterful place um, where it was going to be an easier way of life. That was a really weird, like Jordan way to describe Jordan Valley. Um, that's not in your uh, that's not in your ESV study Bible. Just go ahead, and we'll we'll edit that from the podcast, and we'll move on. Um, but Lot sees an easier version of life. Lot says, I can, go, I can go over here where it's going to be desert, where my herdsmen are going to have to work day in and day night, day in and, and night just to get water, just to get irrigation, just to make it. It's going to be a rougher version of life. Or I can go to the Jordan Valley where it's just going to be easier. Uh, my, my, my animals are going to get what they need, thus my wealth will continue to grow and grow and grow. And Lot does what most humans do. He, he took the road that was easy. He took the path that was easy. And Abraham, being a man of his word, instead of saying, well, I thought you were actually going to pick the hard place because that's what you should have done. And I'll take the easy as being um, uh, your, your kinsman and being the, the head of this family. He does exactly what he says he would. He says, okay, I'll go make it out in the desert. I'll go make it out in the harder lands. You stay in the Jordan Valley and they part ways. And it's a, it's a beautiful microcosm of life, right? Because Jordan Valley is next to Sodom. And Sodom and Gomorrah is a very popular uh, twin cities that will later be destroyed because of how sinful um, their nature is. And you see um, that their sin is just proclaimed uh, throughout uh, the Bible. In verse 13 it says, Now the men of Sodom were wicked and great with sin against God. And we see that, in our, we see that a lot in our life today. Um, that we're not going to go camp in Sodom because we know how bad it is, right? But we love being in the Jordan Valley. 
We understand um, what is out and out wrong. So, so the Sodom was known for its sinful ways. We're not going um, uh, to go out and, and live in that land, but we're going to get as close to it as we can. And you see that get with Lot, and you see that 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 wail on Lot's soul. Whereas the easy way of life led him right up to the border of debauchery. And you see that in your life today. Whereas you may be called um, to the harshest version of life that God uh, could have for you for the glory of God. Or you can actually see this Jordan Valley off and say this is an easier way of life. And this way of life in of itself is not an out and out sin. But that's exactly where Satan wants you. Satan wants you comfortable and just close enough to sin that you can be at its border just constantly calling to you. And you see that throughout Lot's life. You see that throughout the story of Lot where every time Lot made a decision for the ease of his life or for him to get a little more comfortable, it it costs people around him. Because every time you get a little more comfortable, if if, if Satan gets you a little more okay with just the ease of not doing the hard thing, the faithful thing, then you are setting yourself up to just be a little closer to Sodom than you actually need to be. But that being said, God confirms Abraham as the promise he's made. He confirmed and said, if you stay the course and become faithful, I will make your descendants as, as, num- as, as, as the dust is numbered. He refers to the, the family that Abraham will once have to be as, number, uh, as many as the sands of the desert, which is perplexing at this time because don't forget, at, at this moment, in this chapter, Abraham is childless. Because it's easy for us to say, Abraham is what? The father of the Hebrew nation. Abraham is, is a titan of the Bible. Abraham is something that we all will memorize in Sunday school. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. He is uh, the father of the Hebrew nation. Through that Hebrew nation, we have Christ. Through Christ, we have salvation. He is paramount in the Bible being a story of redemption because of his faithfulness. And because of those truthful facts, it's easy for us to get in our head that Abraham Abraham was just this stellar person that we can't ever touch. But the reality is, he was just a faithful person in the face of logic. Because we think, yeah, Abraham, yeah, you, you were faithful, but you were as rich as you could possibly be. Yeah, you were faithful, but he gave you gold. You were, you were faithful, but he gave you silver. I could have been faithful if I would have been given gold and silver. I could have been faithful if he would continue to bless and grow my possessions. But that's not the truth, because we know as parents, as people who want to be parents, that the reality of all of that can be washed away. I promise you if Abraham was here, he would say, no, I just want a son. I just want a daughter. You can keep giving me gold. You can keep promising me that I'm going to be the, the heir of the Hebrew nation. But I don't see it. I'm going to keep being faithful, but I don't see it. So never forget the fact that while, while Abraham is growing in possessions and continuing to be faithful, continuing to let Lot do whatever he wants while he takes a harder version of life, he still doesn't have a son and daughter. He still There's no way he's understanding the promise of God at this point in his life. He's just continually, continuing to take the next faithful step. Now in verse 14, a war breaks out. You have, uh, you have an alliance of four kings, and they invade the, a confederation of five kings that are near the Jordan Valley and, and in the town of Sodom. And in that, that war, that civil war, fighting for power and resources, Lot is taken. So um, Lot is taken. He, he is kidnapped, as since. And then one of the people who was uh, in that party that was kidnapped escaped, and they tell Abram. And they say, hey, your, your, your nephew has been taken. Your, your kinsman has has been taken. And a lot of us think that like Abraham probably had just this supernatural great attitude. I don't know if that's true or not. I think it's more realistic to say 
wow, man, I gave you the, I, I might have to go to war for you. I gave you the Jordan Valley. I gave you an option to like do the right thing. I gave you the option to be honorable. I gave you the option to honor your elders. You kind of threw that away. You went the ease of life. You went as close to the most uh, debaucherated city in the history of, of the Bible. You went as close to it and you think bad things are going to happen. But Abraham continued to be faithful. Abraham continued to care about family and understand that he is, he is God's uh, chosen person of faithful and he comes alongside and he gets his 318 trained men and they go to war. Uh, they go to war, they defeat the forces that have kidnapped Lot, and uh, they, they make it where Lot can come back, and they also get all possessions that were taken by uh, this civil war. So everything that was taken from Sodom, everything that was taken from the surrounding kings, and everything that was taken from Lot. So this was a, this was a big victory. Uh, the writer of Hebrews will go on to describe this victory as a slaughter. Uh, so Abraham handles business with the approval and the blessing of God and, and, and wins mightily. But at no point does he let this win change who he is. At no point does he become a different person because he's now at a mountaintop. He's really been at a mountaintop through the last three chapters. But we see his faithfulness and his humility shine through time in and time again. And then we see something really interesting and unique come. We see him come and be blessed uh, by a king and a priest named Melchizedek. And you know Melchizedek is important and you know that he has been written about and studied a lot because one, you know me and I can say his name right. <laughs> so if I can say his name right, it means there's a lot going on with this guy. There's a lot that's been taught. So we, that was some of the most responsive you've been all day. If you're like, you can say Melchizedek. Wow. I need to. Yeah. So eyes up. We're about to hit some complicated stuff. It's a little deeper theology. And then uh, one guy beat the other guy in a civil war. But this is a beautiful confirmation that Abraham is continuing to be the, the, the person of faith that God has called him to be. So Melchizedek, the name itself means king of righteousness. And Melchizedek is the king of Salem. Salem is translated to peace or the realm of peace. It is later to believe that he was the king of the area that's now Jerusalem uh, modern day. So we have this person that we we don't really see much before. We don't see any before and we don't see any after this chapter where he comes in and he is a king of righteousness and peace. We also know that he is a priestly king. He's the first time in Genesis that we see someone being a priest and a king at the same time. So tell me if this is starting to sound familiar or starting to sound like a foreshadow. We have a king and a priest whose name is king of righteousness and is king of peace. He is a foreshadow of things to come. This is God saying, hey, because of your righteousness, Abram, because you continue to do the right thing, you continue to do the hard thing, I'm going to confirm where you're at. I'm going to reaffirm that, that I'm still the God that's going to be alongside you. You may not understand your calling. You may not understand um, what I'm going to do through you, but I want you to know that I'm going to be beside you the entire time. Also, the king of Sodom comes out and says, hey, you can have every, every item that you have actually possessed. I just want my people back. Can I have my people back? And Abraham says, no, um, you can have everything back. All I need is the food that actually fed my warriors. Everything else is yours. I'm not taking one thing from the king of Sodom because I'm going to give all glory to God. And I don't want there to be one person in the city of Sodom to say that I made Abraham great. Abraham knew where his glory came from. Abraham knew where his greatness and his wealth came from. He knew it came from the blessing of the one true God. He didn't want to ever be commingled with 
Sodom. He didn't want the, the idea of growing in wealth to ever influence who he is and where he came from. He also gave a tenth of everything to Melchizedek. He said, hey, I'm not 100% sure what's going on. It's not uh, notated in the scripture uh, of what they literally said, but you have this great titan of the, of the, uh, the regional power of Abraham um, blessing and giving a tenth of everything, a tithe to Melchizedek saying, you, you are a priestly king, I will honor you. So we do not have time for me to do a sermon on tithing, but this is one of the, the genesis of where tithing comes from to give a tenth. We need a tenth for this church to be sustainable. If everyone tithes, we are sustainable. Move on. <laughs> but we see the writer of Hebrews say it's so much more elegant than me. Verse uh, 1, chapter 7, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, made Abraham returning from the slaughter of the king and blessed him. And to him Abraham accorded a tenth, of, a, a tenth part of everything he had. And he first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then he also the king of Salem, that is, the king of peace. He is without father and mother or out genealogy, having neither beginning or the uh, beginning of the days nor the end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. So what he is doing, he is establishing the order of Melchizedek. And it goes on to compare Melchizedek to, to Jesus as, as the Christ to come. And the writer of Hebrews says, you don't know where where Melchizedek started, and you don't know where he ended. There's this, there's this uh, vagueness of uh, of where he actually came from and where he actually go. He's not saying that Melchizedek was eternal. He's not saying that there that he was a god in of himself. He's just saying it's not clearly written, and it's not clearly written because there's a foreshadowing of the Son of God to come. That there is a priestly king. There is a one high priest that will once and for all um, atone for us. It goes on to say that all the high priests before Christ um, first had to atone for their own sin and then would atone for the sin of the nation and how how futile that is. I don't need someone to atone for my sin if they first have to atone for their own. I need someone who was without sin to atone once and all once and for all for the for the sin of man and how how Christ the King is exactly that. Full disclosure, I forgot to hit the clock up here, so <laughs> bear with me. But we're we're winding it down. I know there's been a lot of moving parts today. So where do we find ourselves? We find ourselves in another story in Genesis. We find ourselves seeing Abram again obeying um, without hesitation, without questioning the will of God. We seeing him being faithful to the next step. And I want to hit you where you live today. That's what God's calling you to. There's no one in this room that God is not calling to be faithful to the next step. I do not know where your next step is. Abraham had no clue where his next step was actually going to lead him. It would have been completely uh, normal and actually just human nature for Abraham to question every step he took as far as where it was going to lead him if at the end he was going to be the father of all nations and while these beautiful, great stories are happening to him, he's childless. It would be completely normal for him to say, everything you're saying makes no sense, there's no logic, there's no reason, and I'm not actually sure how you're literally going to make this happen since I don't have a kid. It was okay for, it's really okay for him to feel that way as long as he takes that next step. God's not asking for superhuman uh, ability. He's not asking for fake uh, vibrato. He's not asking you to pretend to be tough when you're actually scared. He's asking you to take the next step. 
I remember when I was early on in my career on the streets and I got blessed to work in our East, East Side Projects, which butt up to the East Dallas. Um, and uh, there are some gnarly things happening down there. So keep on praying for the men and women that keep us safe. Uh, but one of the first things I remember is this, this feeling of, I'm not sure where this next step is going to take me. Because uh, the depravity of man is really bottled up in the inside of a dope house. You want to see the, the, the darkness of human nature? You want to see the darkness of what we're capable of? Uh, go into a den that just makes its money off heroin or makes its money off, off uh, the sin of man. And I remember this inclination inside saying, I don't know where this next step is taking. I know I have to take it. But the next step seems counterintuitive to my safety. It seems counterintuitive to just what's best for me and my family. And, and, it don't, and I remember telling people that and saying, like, so what do we do with that feeling? And they're saying, I don't care what you do with that feeling, just take the next step. <laughs> and I mean, that really wasn't good enough for me, but I had faith and I knew that God was with me no matter where my step took me. And that's exactly what God's calling on you today. That it's okay to be filled with some fear. Fear is healthy. Fear lets us know we're alive. Fear lets us know that we're human. For the second you say, I'm going to cast out all fear and I'm just going to be this ignorant robot walking around, you're just kidding yourself. I don't know anyone that doesn't have some fear in their life. Fear is okay until it keeps you, keeps you still. Fear is okay until it makes you not take that step. Because Abraham had to be scared senseless. God called him out of every sense of support he could have ever called him. He said, I want you to leave your entire family and go sojourn in this, in this law, lawless land where you're going to have to make it on your own. There's no way that Abraham just wasn't like, oh, this is going to be different. But he still took that step. And, and we see throughout um, his life that he did the hard thing. And hard things take faith. And if you don't know God's authority, you will always struggle with your faith and you will always struggle with the next step. If you don't understand that you serve a God that robbed the grave, it's going to be really hard for you to take that next step in faith because your faith is bottled up in a God you don't even know. If you think that your God can't use you, but He can part the Red Sea, then you're messing up. If you think your God can't use you, or you don't have enough faith in Him because you don't understand His authority, but you think that He, he can raise His Son from the grave, that we now serve a, to, a God who is not in a tomb. That tomb has been empty since the day He rose. It was a borrowed tomb, and it was only borrowed for three days. I love that song y'all sing. <laughs> the fact that He borrowed it, but He didn't even use it. He didn't even use it for five days. He didn't use it for four days. Three days, that thing's empty. And it's been empty. That's the God we serve. That's the God that's calling you to take the next faithful step. And to do that, you have to understand that you may not understand it, but you still got to move. He, at the end of this, Abraham continued to be faithful to the plan and was continue, continued to be childless. At the end of the story, where we see him... Um, shun off evil from Sodom. We see him uh, be the, the humble leader he is by giving Lot uh, the choice of land. We see him go to war for the cause of Christ and family and win uh, the battle. After all of that and all these great stories that, that make up who Abram is and will turn him into Abraham, uh, the father uh, of the Hebrew nation, we see all these things happen and continually we haven't seen a child. We see him called to be the father of all nations and he's, he's doing everything he can for the cause of Christ to be as faithful as he possibly can knowing the whole time, I don't see where this goes because I don't, I don't have a kid. And that is exactly where you could find yourself. 
You could find yourself right now called to a path that you can't even comprehend the end. But that doesn't mean we can't be faithful. It doesn't mean that we can't be used by the cause of Christ. It just means that true faith and understanding the authority of God means you take that step not knowing where that step will lead. I'm really excited about where Genesis is taking this church, and I'm really excited. I'm going to get amped the next three weeks. I get to yell about y'all. Yell y'all about an empty tomb. It is so empty, and we're going to live like it. Let me pray over us. We're going to sing a few more songs in worship, and then we'll get out of here. God, thank you for today. Thank you for just calling us where we're at. God, I know um, that you can use the broken, you can use the weary, and that you will, you will do great things in your kingdom for their cause. God, I'm excited to see what you're going to do uh, with Trinity Church. I'm excited what you're going to do with the men and the women and the children in this room and in this building for the cause of Christ. God, I pray that regardless of where the path takes us, regardless of the fear in our heart, regardless of, of what Satan calls a stumble block, stumbling block or what Satan tries to put in us that we take the next step. I pray that our faith is always bound with an understanding of your authority and, and, and your power and your might. Amen. Amen.